friends, it's me, Business Cat, once again. Welcome back to the Rock Paper Bitcoin Podcast. We missed you. Welcome back. In this episode, Fundamentals and I, we, we talked about quite a few things, so buckle up. Uh, we talked about how the bell curve is potentially a psyop. We talked about bombing on stage for quite a while, and uh, we finished up by talking about how everybody has a price, even Satoshi himself. If you're a Bitcoin miner and you're feeling generous, you can contribute a bit of your hash power to us using any Lincoin stratum address, using our show's username, Rock Paper Bitcoin. Connection details are in the show notes. If you uh, want to stream us sats while you listen, you can use any podcasting 2.0 enabled app. Stream us sats, value for value. Leave us a comment with a boostergram. We'd love to hear from you. Finally, dear listener, thank you so much for listening. It means a lot to us. Let's get into it. We'll just notice it, man. I'll, I'll, I might just say it. All right. Well, we may we may run into audio issues again, but who knows? We'll we'll find out. I'm sure like people don't care as much as we do, but it's so like deflating listening <laughs> listening to like myself on an eight second delay from you, and it just sounds like you and I yeah. are not listening to each other, and you know it, it's very deflating. Like. I'm glad it got... Editing sucks too, man. The the editing it is like figuring out, trying to line it up at the pain in the ass. So like, if we can avoid that, that'd be great. I'm very happy. Well, at least last week, by the time we got to the real meat of like stuff we really wanted to say, I think it got ironed out. Yeah. Well, it's been two weeks, man. How are you? Pretty good, man. I mean, man, the last... Uh, this is... Last week, I did four Bitcoin meetups <laughs> in, the, in the week. Jeez, you've been busy. Yeah, yeah. I was just thinking about it. Um, went to four meetups, wrote a little piece, read a life-changing paper. <laughs> right. Yeah, you sent me the uh, the Bitcoin Audible version of that, which I listened to probably about sixty percent of. Yeah, I mean that's like sixty percent was all it took for me to realize this was a life-changing piece. I'm referring to only the strong survive by. Alan Farrington and Anders Larsen. Yeah, let's put a pin in that. We're definitely yep. going to talk about that. Yep. Um, today, this is officially, officially episode 21. Hell yeah. And so I've been very excited. Now, unofficially, it's pro- I don't know what it is, 25, probably something like that. Some stupid number that doesn't matter. <laughs> well, for, for people that are counting, hey, it's 21. Why not? But this is officially episode 21, and if you just stumbled on this in Apple Podcasts because you like rock, paper, scissors, 21 is a very special number in the Bitcoin world. Absolutely. Is it tw- There's the, the 21 million cap. Is there any other ways that 21 intersect- intercedes Bitcoin? Uh, I th- No, but I would say... It, um, interestingly represents like 21 is the number that represents gambling the right? drinking of, age well the drinking age and blackjack right right like th- these are the in the, previous to bitcoin 21 would represent like y- fucking yolo and you know straight up gambling and now it represents really the uh i will say the uh the redemption of civilization potentially well, yeah, like everything, if it is worthy of being incorporated, Bitcoin's going to incorporate it. So, yeah, 21 now belongs to Bitcoin. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I'm guessing we, ha- we had this conversation once before, 
long time ago, back when our sound sound issues really were bad. But uh, we had a conversation about Satoshi probably not choosing the number 21, but really it's just a, you know, it's how the cookie crumbled from the halvings right. out to 2140, given it, basically, if you just think about if the starting block is 50 and you have in every four years, it turns out to 21 million. And if you want to manipulate what the end number is, you have to manipulate the beginning number and... I'm guessing 50 was just a better number to start with. It could have been 50, you know, 49.2, <laughs> and maybe it would have gone to an even 20 million, right? But yeah. probably Satoshi probably chose just the 50 starting block and said, I don't care what happens from here. I know we're, I'm just going to have it, and it's going to definitely, and, you know, you could just run out the series. It's going to be 21 million is an yeah. elegant number. So, yeah, when I nice did the math, number. he's like, yeah, all right, that's that's the one. Yep. That's the one. That that's the one that the uh, the gods have destined, and so it, so, so let it be. That's Man, right. So like the eagle-eared among you may like I sound kind of uh, nasally in my own ears. We uh, so like so you went to four four meetups in the past week. You've been busy. The yeah, uh, yeah. man. My wife and I are very tired. <laughs> it's it's been an interesting interesting couple weeks. My uh, our our eldest she started like doing one day a week at a, a preschool in the area. And so she went in, and now we're adapting oh, to, to all of their yeah. immune system. And so, yeah, she, she brought something home immediately. So we, we've been sick. It wasn't good. We, we took the COVID test. It's not the new COVID, but it's like we've been sick with something like a head cold for, for a couple of days. We're, I think we're mostly past it, but that, that's, that's been fun. A nice little uh, added topper on top of like, not, not sleeping as much Did as we Did they make you take a COVID test to, 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 let, her, to, to let her come back to <laughs> No, to no, it was, it was actually so my— my father-in-law has COVID right now. He's mm-hmm. he's he's been boosted. He has all the boosters. He's he watches MSNBC. Um, like yeah. so, like but he and he has COVID right now. He just got COVID. So because of that, my my mother-in-law has just a bunch of tests, and so we're sick. So my my brain is like, oh, so we clear. This is clearly COVID. It's like if he has COVID and this feels like so, this feels like a head cold. This has got to be COVID. So she she it's dropped off two COVID. tests, and gotta I be. was wrong. I mean, I guess only people who have been giving themselves COVID over the last. <laughs> Yeah, three years probably are getting it now. Yeah, yeah. So this is just a uh, <laughs> an old fashioned cold, I guess. I, I oh, feel you know, very quaint. So that reminds me of one other little thing that happened this week that was pretty great. Um, so you know, we've had episodes in the past. I've talked about the medical system. Um, talked about my sister as doctor. Um, I got to talk to her about Bitcoin last week. And um, oh, did you? Yeah. In a positive way, or how did well, it go? Yeah, in a positive way. Well, I, you know, I hadn't spoken to her in a while, and I accidentally dialed her number, and I was like, you know, I mean, it's just, maybe just it's roll just with perf- it. Okay. Maybe I should just purposefully call her, right? And, um, you know, I was going to so many Bitcoin meet. I had just gone to Harrisburg, right, and spent the weekend with Kayla, and she was like, how asking me how she is and everything like that, and got saying, well, yeah, I went out there. Kayla came to the meetup, and man, that was great, right? Heck, yes, it was. Um, so basically she's, she says to me, oh, we totally have that. I said, what? Really? She's like, yeah, we totally have uh, Bitcoin. So, oh, really? She's like, yeah, it's, um, on my husband's phone and I have the instructions on how to get it after he dies. Okay. Well, there were some details that made me question it and it turned out, right? Turned out it wasn't Bitcoin. It turns out it's Ethereum. 
okay this is the uh it's like what kind of coke but, is it it's uh, it's root beer which, which is fine and i'm like you know what um here's all i'm gonna tell you i don't care what you have i don't care what you assets you hold right Okay, which by stating it that way, implicitly, I care a whole lot. I don't care. Well, it's like, oh, well, I care. Um, no, but it got me. I said, but but none of those things are going to address your. They're not going to address your freedom to practice medicine. Right. And that was the catalyst for the conversation, and it turned out. So the reason I bring it up now, right, as opposed to say, I think we may end up doing an episode on the on the subject again. But I wanted to, um, you know, she made it. She started listening to the podcast. And I was like, oh, oh, that's hello. cool. Yeah, she's like, oh, my God, she's giving feedback. It's so good and all that stuff. She's like, oh, that's so great. Um, and um, she then said, I was like, I wonder if I wonder if I said anything awkward because I don't really remember. <laughs> you know? And um, it's all good. But she did say, I want, uh, so I, you know, there was an episode where I talked about how, um, you know, like for Ivermectin, she's an example of a, a normie doctor who get, who is wise and at least understands that it can be helpful, right? Sure. And would have preferred to be able to prescribe it to her patients, but like the system just didn't allow it, and she'd be under review and scrutiny and all that. She wanted to clarify. Which is weird. uh, She wanted to clarify that if she thought it was life-saving, she would absolutely do it without question. It's just that, and and, but this is like, we didn't get into this fiat ruins everything conversation, but, um, you know, first of all, how do you prove something's life-saving for a population of people? Right? I mean, for her Back to be matter, in, for yeah. her to be inside that system and to see like, okay, this is a this is a, she she knows the reality about ivermectin. But at and, least like the spirit, right? But the spirit is st- like I think I just wanted to say a normie doctor I think will not feel um, necessarily constrained if they think something's life-saving, even. But. Yeah, the no. Bar, the, the bar for thinking that this is like the first, yeah. the first chink in the wall of of her becoming a Bitcoiner. It's like questioning <laughs> the status quo. It's like questioning well, Ivermectin was a lot of people's first big question mark of what the hell are they telling me? It's like no, I know that's not. You're telling me that that the emperor is wearing clothes when in fact I can see right here that he's not. Yes, and now she's been questioning these things for a while. I'll just say, you know, um, my first skepticism around vaccines came from her. Believe mm. it or not. Won't get into it, but um, you know she was a um, you know she was a board certified doctor in a specialty, and then decided to become board certified again in integrative medicine because. She well, just, geez, it sounds like we have a increasingly yeah, the, rabbit hole, the rabbit hole called her the same way Bitcoin all the rabbit holes call me. Like we we come from a family of rabbit hole scrapers. Well, it's great to have her as a listener. It's great to, it's so great anyway, to have you wanna, as a listener. I want to tell that story too. So it's just like a lot. A lot is rolling right now. The meetups were terrific. I so in, included in those meetups were one I got to take my daughter to, which was uh, you and Lonely Pumpkins. Shout out Lonely Pumpkins. Um, dude is a total like knowledge machine, and right, he is. Is it just a gem to take? Like when I take essentially a no coiner that my daughter is to a meetup and have her. Just get to hear the expertise. It's just flat-out expertise of somebody like him, right? Yeah. So, you know, He's got no hesitation, seats. no hesitation, and literally no end. Just keeps going. We went out to lunch afterwards, and it just continued. It was great. And you know, I asked Kayla what her takeaway was from the meetup, and she said it was the most intellectually stimulating conversation she's ever been a part of. 
That's great. I mean, she's college age. Now's the time for your brain to be opening like that. That's right. So when you got when you want to make your move and onto Penn State, I think you will have an ally. Awesome. She'll be a. I mean, I'm sure there's people up there that are receptive to it, but it's just like the transitive nature of that of that area is like, yeah, who's gonna take the lead in an area? Like everybody leaves and comes back. So that was a great one. And then uh, Bitcoin John on Monday was great. So aforementioned Anders Larson, aforementioned co-author of All of the Strong Survive, mm-hmm. was the um, speaker. And I didn't know him. I didn't really know of him. I, you know, I associated a lot of the Alan Farrington's work with him. Not I didn't know Anders at all. Yeah, I'm, I am unfamiliar with him other than that work now. Um, so Anders, Alan Farrington, we've talked about this a little bit in the past, but also... Um, Mr. Kita, uh, you know, they are part of a new company called Axiom Capital. And um, it really just builds on the foundations that they laid down in Only the Strong Survive. The only thing I, I mean, again, put a pin in it. Let's just put a pin in that and say Bitcoin John was awesome. We had a new location in a Chinese restaurant that was badass, has free parking, really good food, and a gigantic, like, gigantic screen. And it was awesome. And then... Nice. Um, then we got to Wednesday night, which was Phoenixville meetup, my meetup, and that was I did not actually did not know how that was going to go. This is our second meetup, so the excitement of the first one kind of not so, you know, it's not so much there, and I didn't know really if people would show up, and we got it like twenty people, and it was fucking awesome. It was the perfect. It was just perfect, and then I counted like I counted four or five people that literally I, are were only there because I cold texted them on orange pill app man you're pounding the pavement it's like you're doing the work yeah shout out to orange pill app just for like you know letting me know you know i get into a groove where i'll just copy the same message and send it and just carpet bomb them out but once they respond you know how it is with me right i just like you know tell me everything about yourself and let's like talk about what you want to do right orange pill app is an interesting new type of messaging it's almost like a it's like a dating service, but not for dating. It's for friends. You're like, you're meeting other people that are only specifically interested in this one thing. So it's it's I don't know. My I don't know how to process it, like categorize it in my brain properly. It's not properly social media, and it's not prop. It's not a messaging app. It's something. It's in the new area, and I I can't yeah. But it, it, regardless, I- it's invaluable. It's connecting people all over the world. Yeah, and you know there I I would say, you know. It's not 100% ready to, like, replace what meetup.com does. But I've been able to, I have been able to resist using meetup.com for this meetup because of Orange Pill App. Mm. So yeah. it's, ready en- it's ready enough to do what it does. There's utility there. It's proving, yeah, it's proving itself. It's so valuable in, I guess, just filtering out, um, you know, filtering out noise because people come already, you know, People come to that platform already um, ready and wanting to do what you'd want them to do in a meetup, which is come talk and learn about Bitcoin. Do you, another, another interesting thing that Orange Pill app that I've noticed since I've been on Orange Pill app is that I've been having people connect with me from all over the world. It's not just like people looking for local within a certain circumference of my distance. Um, there's people from Africa and, and like south america contacting me that's amazing like this is opening and given the like having bitcoin as a payment layer available to us orange pill app is opening up like person-to-person commerce worldwide in a way that hasn't been available to the species before 
Unbelievable, yeah. I, I had a guy ping me from South Africa last week. He's like, hey, you want to talk about Bitcoin? And I'm like, hell fucking yeah, let's do it, right? Right. It's, you know, and then it's like, hey, check out our podcast. Check out this is how, this is sort of, you know, who we are and what we are about in the space. And I should disclaim to the audience, um, in the past when I've talked about them, I have clipped these, I've clipped this and sent it to Mateo, the CEO of Orange Pill App, um, not to get engagement from them, but to let them know and to try to get some, just try to get some suggestions heard. And uh, we also actually interacted this week with, uh, I guess it's the CEO of Fountain. And I definitely, well, the main thing I told Fountain was that clipping is the way. Clipping is my, is the way that I have gotten in touch with guys like Farrington and you know rob hamilton the, the, the i send them clips and they actually pay attention to you know they hear it in a different way than if they read something yeah clipping it's a podcasting 2.0 in general has i feel like is ushering in a new like renaissance of podcasting to begin with but yeah clip it fountain i like who would have guessed that just creating little clips it's like Little clips of podcasts and then making them easily shareable would be as valuable as it has been. Whenever I open up Fountain, all I see in my newsfeed is just yeah, that you have created all of these clips. That's so yeah, you're, well, you've been very industrious on that platform. Told, oh yeah, definitely. Well, the thing is, like, I'll just read a tweet and I want to I want to respond and say I've said this on my podcast. Right. And that's kind of cheap. And now you but can. I can send a clip at, with the actual thing, right? Yeah, and the additional layer of being able for people that find value in it, like they can zap some stats back to you. It's like that's beautiful. This actually happened with Alan Farrington the past couple of weeks because um, he got into an argument. This is fun. Um, I'll get into this for a second, right? He got into this Twitter argument with. Do you know who John Carvalho is? He, uh, I think, he, yeah, he the runs name, a refresh. He runs a lightning. Okay, there's a lightning business, and I'm, it's escaping me, but it's fairly well known. Um, it's fairly well-known lightning business. It's not like impervious. It's one of these types of, you know, businesses. Anyway, he he wrote he writes a tweet that um, this is funny, guys. He writes he tweets that um, reading books is for midwits because you can now go to AI and have him summarize a book for you. Okay, so and so <laughs> okay. So, I so can, he's dangling for engagement with that tweet, boy. Now, so Farrington, right? And I, you know, I don't know if you've read his books or his work you know it's very dense very repetitive and very thoughtful but like you know he comes with quality. Sled- he comes with a sledgehammer okay it's hard to read sometimes because it's so just he keeps banging the point right mm-hmm. he responds immediately and just says um something like you know there's nothing more fucking midwit than this notion that only midwits read books, right? So something like that. And then Carvalho immediately responds, says, says the guy whose books are fucking repetitive and impossible to read anyway, right? Um, now, so here's where things, here's where it got fun a little bit, right? So I, like, I have access to Alan on Saifedean's Telegram. Sorry, guys, this sounds like stupid name-dropping mania. It's not. It's just, it's a Telegram I've been on for a year and change, and he does post a lot on it. Um, so this came up and this is sort of getting shared. Now I was on the high, high hash rate podcast, right? Um, shout out, months. shout out, shout out to those guys it was one of the last things they asked me at two in the morning after, 
you know, an hour and a half of, um, of discussion was something that he meant to ask me, which is like, what did I think of Bitcoin is, is Venice? And, um, I basically couldn't conjure a coherent answer to that question at that moment. And I basically said that I don't even know if I got really anything out of it, but I think that I, I think that Alan rearranged my molecules. I think that's what took place when I read the book. Like, I don't know if I actually retained much. Now, it's very hard to give an answer to a question like that on a book like that, because the book really was hard to read. And, you know, yeah. it's not like you don't like learn some light bulb. Not like on, like on the other hand, this paper, Only the Strong Survive, I could probably go on for two hours on what I got out of that. But like this Bitcoin is Venice. I, what, I didn't see the question coming. It was two in the morning. And I basically said, Alan Farrington rearranged my molecules by me reading this book. Right. I don't think that's so, a bad way to frame that book, though. Like I've. I have not read the entire book of Bitcoin as a Venice, but like I've skimmed, I've skimmed the vast majority yeah. of it. And like my, it didn't, it's the same thing. I don't feel like I retained anything from it, but it was a lens which reshaped how I viewed this entire era of, of history. Like I understand, yeah. I feel like I understand why Venice was what it was now in a new, in a new dimension. So yeah, it's a, it's a lens. It's a, it's a reframing and device. The point so, like, super though, valuable. The point though, was this clip I had about me saying Alan Farrington rearranged my molecules was my way of posting a response to this tweet by saying AI could never have AI could yeah. never have done this. The spark notes <laughs> and the map is not the territory. The spark notes is not the content. He loved it. I have to tell oh, I you. Bet. He yeah. loved it and he's like now, unfortunately, this was on high hash rate, so I gave them like Alan has to, I don't think has any idea that I have a podcast. Um, but he, you know, he definitely went and listened to that episode with high hash rate and, um, good for them. And again, shout out to those guys. Great dudes. Yeah. They, they but like, uh, that was so cool to be able to send that clip at that moment in time in the middle of this, um, in the middle of this argument. And the final postscript on this, um, what was the, it was Bitcoin Amsterdam that recently, that we recently had the Bitcoin Amsterdam conference i believe so yes no sorry or it was riga no it was honey badger sorry it was big it was a riga honey badger conference right so giacomo zuku so alan sends me the uh first day he says gotta you have to watch giacomo zuku's talk and it's about midwits <laughs> and it's this whole thing about what is a fucking midwit and um and he basically uses this whole. Uh, we have to do an episode about this, by the way. But he uses this that that meme of the bell curve, and basically he's like the midwit is the guy that's in the middle, yeah, right. And this is where ADIQ pleb kind of you know started. This meme started to come about too. Only an ADIQ pleb can under, can you know think drive change are bad. Like this whole this whole thing. So like the plebs are like in the right and left bell curve, and the midwit is in the middle. And it was a great. I highly recommend, which I'll probably put in the show notes. Um, but ironically, guess who gave the presentation right after Giacomo Zuku at Baltic Honey Badger? Farrington. No. No. Carvalho. Okay. <laughs> and did, and that was did, no, how did that another go? Thing I, it was fine, but it was like, it was, that all happened before this argument. Right, and so the Farringtons noticed the irony of that, and was, again, we just had a great laugh over the just the fucking irony of the whole thing. Um, so, oh, by the way, so 
I've got a lot. I've gotten a little bit of shit and a little bit of credit, both for something we discussed on an episode a couple couple of episodes back, and it was about sort of defending the use of the word retard. And um, I have to say, midwit probably replaces sixty to seventy percent of my use. I think of that word because that's I, what I really am looking for. <laughs> I feel like there's a small and very vocal minority of people that have a very strong reaction to the word retard. It's like whether, whether, however you want to use it, I, I feel it's kind of, it's, it's a word that's too powerful to allow go to the wayside. We are um, not alone. We are not alone and at least are grappling with the frustration of it not, like, you know, being authoritatively told not to use it. I'll just yeah. say that. We're yeah, definitely not can, alone. Can, can be, my personal favorite way of uh, sidestepping that is calling somebody highly regarded. It's like that's that, totally. So, so this is great because my sister told me that that's the one thing, like the one thing that my my brother-in-law was listening to the podcast too, and he he locked right onto that part, and he's like, "This is amazing because his kids tell him that uh, not to say the word and all that." And I, so I told her, I said, "Listen, Kayla, I already taught her the highly regarded meme, and we use it all the time. We've been using it for, you know, for a while." And she's like, oh, that is amazing because, like, he goes on FaceTime with her and everyone hears him screaming, <laughs> screaming it. And, like, yeah, this is a great way. You know, it, it's I love highly regarded so much because it hides in plain sight. And, you know, people would say, like, you know, people would say to her, well, you know, all the highly regarded colleges require the vaccine. And it's yeah. just like the funniest shit in the world. It's it's the it's meme is joke. so beautiful. It's 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 an inside joke that hides in plain sight. And, you know, it's not hiding. It's not uh, complying with the with the authoritarian. It's just the, this is how societies evolve. No. I, and I feel like the authoritarians were, were in whatever form they take or whatever they're trying, whatever issue they're trying to press on the masses. Um, it's like. They, they want to split. They want to split us up. That's why they're focusing on the things that split that drive us apart, as opposed to like you can use this word as a term of endearment, and many like as men have been doing for decades. It's like they, so to try to like really? all this. Yeah, to call you call your friends <laughs> retards. It's like that's this is a term of endearment True. that men have well, been using. It, it may but, be so, a term of endearment, but I don't know if I really mean it endearingly in a moment. You know what I mean? It's, then, si- it's situational. It's a situational <laughs> yeah. word. Uh, but to to blanketly say that to that we we have to vilify but, and cast judgment on the people that use it is is foolish and wasteful. The mean the mean version like the really when I'm when you're trying to really identify somebody's lacking, midwit is pretty fucking good, dude. It's a I, I was really excited about learning this word. I mean, calling attention to the the lack of mental faculties of another person is an indication of the lack of mental faculties of the person yeah. making the claim. So I mean, to and begin I, with, by the way, like I'm not it, excited. I'm not excited about it because it takes the load off of using other unpopular words. I'm excited about it because of how good of a job it does at describing what I'm looking for. Yeah, it's it's a useful. Yeah, it's a useful tool. I mean, people don't it's understand a, like, and all of a sudden, when they have that revela- revelatory moment and realize, like, oh, this they, they have that other layer of transfer of information. By the way, guys, the bell curve is a psyop, and I wrote a big thing about this and thought maybe Alan might react to it. He ignored it, so I'll, I'll, I'll just keep I'll just keep pushing on it. Bear markets are where people find things to argue about. That was where sure. it, that, that, that was where it ended. I pushed a little too hard on, uh, you know, 
push a little too hard on the conversation. I'm like, how about the bell curve as a psyop? Well, this is all, I mean, we're still like generally the conversation. I mean, we're talking about what we did in the past two weeks. It's been a busy two weeks, it we sounds like. Are still, it's been a, it's, and this is beautiful thing about Bitcoin. You know, so I had a thought this morning, you know, what is it to be decentralized? What is it to be part of a decentralized entity? And I, like, if you look like biologically, our decentralized entities are just like, we have things that are just doing their job all the time. Never, they're never not doing their job. Now, when they have to like rest, they rest. But when they have to work, they work. And I, I think being in Bitcoin as a decentralized entity, I think you have to be on all the time, always. Like I think I was thinking about the four meetups, the paper, and it's like. I can pat myself on the back and say, wow, quite industrious and doing a lot. And we'd come show up and do the podcast. But the yeah, reality, that's, that's not the, like, that's just part of, yeah, you're, you're just breathing. Just, yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like you are just, if, but, but you don't get to take a break. For, you don't really get to say, I'm not up for, um, like if I was to miss some, one of these things, it would just be because probably the incentives of fiat crushed me so badly. Like I actually did have to, I had I did have to miss something this week and it was, it upset me greatly. I'm in the lightning I'm in the chain code labs lightning protocol development seminar, which also now requires like 15 hours a week, 15 to 20 hours a week of like reading and discussion and all that. And I had to miss. You're allowed to miss one out of like, and then they kick you out. And I had to miss this one and it really really crushed me because of just an unavoidable event. In my fiat job, but that's really to me the thing, the only thing that is like would derail me right because it's just you don't get to be like i'm too tired to have this conversation i'm too tired to meet with people i'm too tired to talk about bitcoin i'm too tired to you know it's just too much right well, it sounds like it never we, we learned much. a similar lesson it's like you're like we've, we've both learned for from different sources that yeah our the schedule of your life sometimes is out of your hands it's like you don't get to, you don't get to focus on what you want to focus on sometimes you have to go elsewhere correct yeah, I mean, and I do have, like, you know, my FIA job is probably, it should be the most important thing, but it's not. I'm sure your FIA job would like it to be the most important thing in <laughs> oh, your life. They, but yeah, they no, would. that's a foolish thing to, to allow that so to happen. I, res- I push back on that enough, right? But I know where my limits are. I am like it's like yeah you're you're able you're going out and attending all these these meetups and you're you're listening to these seminars. It's like man, I have like. I, so I listen to podcasts as much as I can now, but it's like my my ability to consume and process information from out in the rest of the world has been so greatly diminished that like, I mean, I'm, I'm having to be very choosy with what I listen to. I think the highest signal thing I listened to recently was um, Senator, was it Senator or Congressman Matt Gates was, he discussed the what's coming up with the uh, shutdown of the government. And I mean, he, he is him and his little Freedom Caucus were what was instrumental on hmm. um, holding up Speaker McCarthy from being nominated back when he back when he was going becoming the speaker. And like he had to agree to, I think, four different demands of the Freedom Caucus. And one of them being no more, no more continuing resolutions and no more omnibus bills. And then they immediately signed a continuing resolution to keep funding the government. And so Matt Gates is now pushing back against that. And they're. Yeah, so there, there can be no more continuing resolutions for funding the government, and it's looking like they're going to run out of money at the end of the month. And so he was talking about that. Yeah. Like they've, they're, they're doing things by single line item votes now, like they did back in the 90s. It's interesting. Yeah, yeah, I'll, like, I'll, I'll just shout out to you, though, because 
I, you know, you're ve- you're still really active on the Telegram. You showed out to your meetup, and you show up to the podcast. Well, I mean, I, yeah, I'm, I'm. You had you just had a baby. You have a you have a week old baby, weeks old. Weeks old. Yeah, he's uh, right? he doesn't he doesn't sleep much, and he's so yeah, dude. <laughs> He's amazing. It's like, but like, he, give yourself the difference oxygen, between our first right? kid and him is like night and day. Yeah. Starting to see the personality a little bit. Oh, a little bit. Yeah, that's for sure. And also like, I mean, he, he's been out in the world and now enough that we're starting to see like, I think what he's going to look like. He's less of like a misshapen space alien that's been soaking in mm-hmm. a bag of amniotic fluid for nine months. But yeah, yeah. I, that's off society. Like my, uh, my, I feel like my attention is very pulled apart much more than it has been recently. But on the plus side, like going back to what we were talking about high hash rate, it's like they, uh, high hash rate was in touch with us um, semi-recently. Like they, they want to have us back on at some point. And I was talking yep. to my wife. I was like, I feel that will be going on their show will be less um, of less intrusive on like my mental state of mind than it normally would. Cause they were, they record at midnight for the East coast here. And so for, for me, I mean, that's like, I normally go to bed at 9 PM. So like staying up till midnight already puts me in like kind of a, psychosis yeah. psychedelic high state of mind so like but now on top of that like i'm already up at that point now so like we we could record something with them and i'm already going to be like wired and strung out and sounding super out of my mind because i already am my biggest fear when i went on their show i talked about this but my biggest fear was that my i would just be stupid like uh, like at that hour you know like right my iq is that was, definitely that was lower well. the IQ, there's no doubt there's no way around if you measure my iq at 12 in the morning after staying up all night versus now it's probably a 15 point difference there's no doubt about it right oh yeah so i was worried myself that as well. i would drift i would i would either you know maybe i'm already on the low point of the bell curve and that i doesn't hurt me but like i was worried about drifting into the midwit section there that's but that's <laughs> you the know? you could view that though as like what that's the feature one of the features of their show is that they're gonna drat like they don't they don't want to know the put together you they don't want to know the public version of yourself that you're presenting to the world they yeah. want they want to see who you really are when well you're they've tired seen and strung I, out and yeah like but, sometimes and, with me I, I think they've seen enough like um you know I went on <laughs> I went on a little bit of a psychotic rant boosting their last episode about um and it's <laughs> yeah okay I'm gonna do this. I'm going to do this real quick. It's um, so they had uh, Isaiah Jackson of Bitcoin and black America on their last show. Everybody should go listen to it. I have not listened to it yet. Dude is a total G um, told some great stories. Um, That's a book that I read last year and I have it loaned out to a kid that I can't get to read it or give it back to me. But uh, (laughs) besides the point, um, but they started talking about stand-up, and he goes, "That's a little near and dear, near and dear subject to me as well." And uh, they were both they were talking. So Dan has done some stand-up, and Isaiah was talking about how his experience with stand-up. It came up because they asked him, "Dude, you're on CNBC all the time. Were you ever afraid to go on?" He's like, "No, nah, man, I did stand-up like back in the day. I did it for five years. So why would I be afraid of that?" And so that's like made sense. Good answer, right? And Dan is like, "Yeah, I did stand-up," and um, they started talking about bombing and uh <laughs> i was very, i was a little unsatisfied with the quality of the bombing that i was hearing uh, when i when i <laughs> like when i hear about bombing i want to hear i want i, I want to hear about a bus fire like i want to hear the absolute 
pain oh. and embarrassment in your voice. You you want to you want to hear a story about bombing? Like well, I've ne- I've never done stand up, but I I did like on I did a lot. I grew up doing st- stage productions, and I failed on stage one time in a way that has haunts me to this day. Really? Legit, like fart in the middle of a <laughs> in the, while you were doing production in the middle of. <laughs> well, no, I mean I froze up. I I, I forgot oh, my I, I oh, forgot my it. lines in the middle of a song and then said yes. nothing while everybody else kept dancing for like. Oh, a f- so you were yeah. So that you perf- you were performing, and you I, fucking so this ch- is you choked. And I, I choked. You had I was to on stage. It. it was the the Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. Anybody familiar with it? I was the Pharaoh. Yep. And so, like, I, I was singing the Pharaoh song, and so just in the middle of me singing my, it, it the thing that makes it even more That's embarrassing horrible, as an actor is that so like the rest of the cast in Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat is essentially it's like twelve people that are just they play the they play the brothers they play like all these different characters and then but they need this one character who's different the Pharaoh who isn't on stage with everybody else be like for most of it because he needs to come in and just do something like do a few things and leave. Um, but for the story's sake, he can't be around. So it's like, like through the whole time we were producing this show, it was like all of these, like the whole cast of characters, like they were on stage and then normally like I'm just kind of hanging out off stage. This is before the days of smartphones, but I'm kind of fucking off as like a middle school slash high schooler. Um, and then come to like, we get to the actual day of production and then we had like three or four shows. The first show I fucking froze up and forgot my lines on stage in front of the audience. Oh and, my god! Yeah, it's like so. so that's can, fortunately, I, my... I, I flowed back into it. Like I started on the second verse and flowed back into it. But to this day, it haunts me. I th- so that's a sad story, and I don't root for that. And the reason I don't root for that is because that did not happen in the attempt to do comedy. See, if you if that happens out of if that happens out of an attempt to do comedy, it's kind of. It's like, you know, it works or it do- maybe it works, maybe it doesn't. Maybe it goes really, really well, bad. Re- rehearsed right? production and comedy are kind of, and like stage comedy are two kind of different things. So well, the, but, like oh, two different it, types of failure. But it's a different intent, right? It's a different attempt. That's, that shit's just sad to me. Yep. Like I would feel horrible seeing that happen to anyone. I would feel horrible seeing that happen to a Broadway performer. I would see, I think let alone a child that's part of one of the things that as the person that it happened to makes it worse is because I know that all these people, all the people in the audience that witnessed my failure, like probably the, the vast majority of them were like, Oh, I feel bad for this guy. Dude, oh, you scarred he's, them. He's failing. Right. Yeah. No, I know that I psychologically yeah. like, pro- yeah, like man. But when that happens to a, a, com- a comedian, I love it. Okay. It's when it's a real fucking bombing. I love it. Now I, that I was, um, that happened to me my sixth or seventh time I got up and um because I started to get a little confident about what I could do right and maybe I got like, a little it's always over. a learning experience so like after six or seven times I wasn't nervous anymore and thought I was a professional and um you know what I'll tell a story and you know guys hi hash rate guys this is what bombing is okay um <laughs> okay uh, many of you may, this may bomb, guys. This very well may bomb, and I don't care to repeat it, but my sister will like this story. It's the last thing I'm going to say before I go tell you guys what I did here. So my no, sixth I or seventh... bomb story. Yeah, okay. So my sixth or seventh time doing stand-up, I, was, I lost the nervous feeling. I almost missed it. I was like, oh, man, I don't have that nervous feeling anymore. That kind of sucks. And um, I was on my way to an open mic, 
this was in Philadelphia at a place called the Urban Saloon. You know, fucking hipster, Mike. And um, what's going on in my life at the time is that my my grandfather was very sick. He was fighting, like, fighting for his life. He was 95 years old. He was in the hospital fighting for his life. And um, while my dad, you know, and his sister were caring for him and making decisions, um, my dad found out, my dad was told by the hospital that he had to, like, now, like, he, he had to leave because he was no longer a decision maker. And he basically found out that his sister wrote him out of the living will and um you know basically took advantage of my 95 and 94 year old grandparents at their um at the trough of their mental faculties to do so and it was pretty hard thing to accept okay so like this was happening this was the backdrop of what was happening and i remember finding like finding out about it like the day you know, on a Sunday, and it was this Monday when I was driving down to the mic to go up. And so at the time, I thought to myself, man, I hear, I've heard so many comedians say, hey, you know, just take all the pain in your life and just do it on stage, you know? Oh, my God. I was hoping this is not where you, you use this as content? <laughs> oh, my. Well, no. It's got, it gets worse. Oh, my God. Okay. It gets worse because I'm looking for an angle, right? And I found one. And... Let me tell you guys, you guys aren't going to like this. <laughs> yeah. You guys are not going to like this. Even like I'm telling you, my sister, you're going to listen to this. You're going to like it, but you're not going to like it. So, um, <laughs> all right. You guys know I'm Jewish and um, pretty cool with all that. And you guys know my journey. But so my angle here was that, you know, there's a lot of hateful people in the world a lot of people who don't like jewish people but if there's probably at least a few that only like the only jewish person they ever met was my aunt and i might understand actually in that situation and i might understand if um so anyway, like you can already tell how unfunny this is as me talking about it. I haven't really, I haven't advanced the bit in, t- in how t- 11 years or however long ago I, d- I did oh, this. Oh, you but haven't I, worked on this bit? I can't imagine no, why. No, I have not continued. But l- let me just tell you, as I was, I was, I gave it a full college try. Okay? Oh my God, dude. And the more I saw people. What just year was fucking, this? 2012. 2012. You're doing like Jew jokes in 2012. I mean, I get it. I mean, South Park was going was going there at that time. Well, was, I mean, but as a, you know, it's like it was I thought it was certainly original, right? Right? Yeah. And you know what? I still think the premise is funny, and I don't apologize to anyone ever for trying to do this joke. Okay? No, fuck no. And never. Ever, you know, ever. interesting. I, like, I can parallel that to my story. Like, so well, hold on. Let me hold on a second. Let me just t- let me just give you the aftermath and the whole. <laughs> I mean, like, just it went so bad. So the only I actually got one laugh in the whole bit, and it's because it, the laugh was, I said that she could. I said that my aunt could actually not be a worse representation of Jewish people if she was providing representation, and that was the one laugh I got. Lawyer, Jew lawyer joke, great, haha. But then like. It just got 
so dark and ugly and I could feel everybody fucking hating me. And that's all, like, that's it. It's the end. There's no resolution, no, you know, <laughs> no, nobody comes and says, hey, man, good try. Nah, dude, you just walk off stage and deal. You sit, and I stayed in the, for the mic, for the rest of the mic, and was that guy, right? And People were looking at like, you on the side of their eye and stuff. Yeah, it took every bit of, like, autism spectrum I was born with to, like, allow myself to ever show up to another mic again and not be humiliated it was that like that's and i just want to close this thing before you i just want to close this out so that's my version of a bombing there's no lesson <laughs> okay there's no lesson it was just a mistake like oh, i no. got in over i got I in can, over my skis i think i can and, pull a lesson out of this oh, oh hold on i understand but for me personally i would not when i talk about stand-up and i talk about some of the triumphs i had and I'll, i can get into that someday but like this was just a bombing, and when I hear when I when I hear about bombings, I want to hear that kind of I want to hear that kind of shit. I want to hear that kind of pain. And on high hash rate, it was just that 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 two minutes of discussing this triggered me back into this trauma, and I went on this posting rant about fuck you guys, you guys you guys didn't bomb if you guys were talking about how much you learned from it and how great how great it was sorry and then i followed it up with one that says i guess my last boost demonstrates what a bombing really is you know oof, <laughs> oof. at least i gave those guys sats to do it you know for the privilege no right like i whenever <laughs> people want to comment they've got to pay you something i'm happy to hear people so that are unhappy this is how i spend sats guys it's like uh, you know reacting to my trauma so anyway that's my big bombing story and that uh, that's painful it was painful there's yeah. painful bits in there so i i don't think the i'm gonna guess that i mean if you worked on the bit you could you could pull it out i'm gonna the, the, the failure part which was my failure part as well that's the the weird parallel here is like we both failed on the same point and that point is we got comfortable like we thought we were we thought we were the shit it's like well, that I was, was my th- big learning. Yeah, this that was, was my th- learning. This was like well into my like career of being on stage at this point, and I had like been. It was odd when I wasn't the lead. I was like that kid. Like at pretty much anything that I auditioned for, like musical or play, I would end up, if not the lead part, one of the lead parts. And so like, I was telling myself the story at the, like for this one. It's like ah, like it's like I went like I wanted to be Joseph. I auditioned for Joseph and I didn't get Joseph, and it uh-huh. really pissed me off at the time. How old were you? How old were you? I was probably 16, 17 hmm. maybe. Um, but yeah, like I, so, I thought I was the shit, and I got the, the Pharaoh, and then I got to bomb on stage in a way that I had. I, I got to fail in a way that I had never. A new dimension of failure for me. Um, and, and for you, I'm sure like this was, this was a new dimension for you to fail in. And like, to the fact, like, I remember things about that night in a way it's in as vivid detail as like the birth of my children. It's one of those cornerstone formational memories of my personality. So like, I'm sure that you remember, I I bet you can remember what it smelled like in that club. Well, I remember the guy that came on after me. Okay. This guy. He comes up on stage and just goes, "Yay, Jews!" <laughs> and everyone laughs. Right. He got totally. Yeah. You know, he uh, just got. He gets the easy laugh and just like wipes up this. Yeah. He just mops up after you. Totally Bru- did. That's it. brutal. It was, oh, so brutal. That's <laughs> so brutal. Fucking brutal. Yeah. Uh, 
Yeah, I mean, I'll say the one, I guess what I did take with me, it's not a learning experience. Maybe it was, but what I take with me was I realized that I can't be unprepared and try to do something beyond my skill set, especially. And so in the public speaking realm, I mean, you guys have maybe heard me say multiple times in the past on the show that I typically like to write a piece before I start talking about it if I'm really like conscious of how I talk about a certain thing. Um, it probably really does come from that experience that certain things I don't want to get into and I don't, I'm not ready to talk about unless I'm a little bit prepared, you know, so that it's, I don't end up sounding like Joseph Goebbels, Jewish Joseph Goebbels <laughs> on stage, you know, and so just, you know, it's like, it's so interesting. Like something to at- preparing looking at the process of different comedians and how they like, I know that George Carlin, he wrote every George Carlin wrote everything down and like, uh, he would perform it like word meticulous. for word. Yeah. Meticulous. meticulous. Every word and syllable mattered to George Carlin. And if you really go back and listen, you can tell nothing is off the cuff. And look, uh, the illusion of comedy. This is one of the first things I learned, the illusion of comedy. And it's called the illusion of comedy. And it's the illusion of comedy is that you're coming up with this on the spot. And the reality is by the time you hear a comedian's bit, it's 10 years, probably, of open mics. In fact, some comedians, 15 years in, are still doing, are still, like, still perfecting that first bit. I mean, it's that, it's the thing with it, like, somebody who's talented can make it look effort, effortless. And the same thing, like, one of the lessons I'm sure that we've learned for, like, podcast. I listen to a lot of podcasts, and it's like, oh, yeah, I can do that. It's like, it's hard to do a podcast, and, like, it, being on a podcast and having to edit a podcast and listen to myself has made me confront things about my personality and the way I process information that I was unprepared for. It's like, it's realized that uh, I, it's made me realize that I have, I repeat things that other people say more than I was willing to admit to. It's like, it's like, it's forced me. It's like, okay, if I want to be somewhat original with my own content, I need to divorce myself from other people's content to create a somewhat of a vacuum to fill with my own creativity. And it's like, yeah, just little things like that. So, but, but yeah, as a, somebody who's good at doing something makes it, makes other people think, oh, I could do that. So somebody like Carlin who just, and, and like, or comedians that have spent 10 years, 15 years developing a bit that makes the audience laugh when they're supposed to laugh. Like that, like that's work. That's proof of work. But for people that don't see that, it just seems like, oh, that's easy. Oh, yeah. oh by, and by the way, let me just say, there is nothing more gratifying in the world than seeing a guy who was clearly the funny guy in his friend group, right? Who all his friends are like, dude, you should totally do comedy. Mm. Nothing better in the world than seeing that guy get up on stage and eat shit. Okay. And you just see it like the lifetime of confirmation come right out of his face. Or her. Yeah, I mean, he's okay? having that it moment is, that he's going to remember for years. That's not what happened to me, right? Like, I just, I got in over my skis mm-hmm. and then... You know, for the record, right, I was never going to be a successful comedian. I was only doing it once a week. Um, that was a constraint that was imposed on me by my wife that I did not like, but I'm glad I complied with because I had two young kids. And, you know, I got if it wasn't for that constraint, you guys know I would have gone down that rabbit hole and I would have gone up every night. There's many I different setups for epic failure. And but, yeah, be, being the funny guy in your group and then being encouraged. But, to go, yeah, yeah, go out, go out go, and be funny in the world. Going, doing stand-up once a week or whatever. I, got, I would do two mics in the one night. It's never, you're never going to, 
you're never really going to get that much better. But what I did achieve was um, peer respect, and I think that's all I ever really wanted. And um, that was that was it. But like, oh, there is nothing sweeter than seeing that guy just get fucking destroyed. <laughs> and then you know, sometimes they come back, and then that's how, that's how you that's how you get respect. Everybody loves a comeback story, right? It's like the everybody loves seeing the person get their comeuppance, and so seeing somebody who's cocky and hasn't earned it realize that they are like, oh, I'm not as funny as I think I am. That's a beautiful moment for an audience to witness. Yeah. But, but I mean, you reminded me of when you talked about repeating back in 2012, if you went to a comedy open mic, like 90% of the people either had, they either did comedy in Mitch Hedberg's voice mmm, or Dave Attell's voice or somebody else's voice. That's how I tell. acted in, in multiple things I acted in. Like I was in the sound of music and I, I remember, like, the, I portrayed the actor from the movie. Like, I didn't act originally. I was just acting the way I was like, oh, I've seen this character done before, so I'm just going to do that. And it's like, it's but, hard, man. It is hard Dude, to be even, original. Even you and I, with this podcast, for the first few episodes, were doing it in the voice of our favorite podcasts. Right. right? We were trying to replicate things we'd heard. We were like, and let's just... talk about some numbers. Let's talk about, let's do this type of bit. And, you know, right, we were, that's, this is what you have to do. That's part of the proof of work, in my opinion, to find an original your original voice. Yeah, you, and, you, right. You definitely have and, to fail before you succeed. That's for sure. Well, you ha- you know, there's no. It's like um, Michelangelo carving David. Right? He didn't start with some, <laughs> David. Right. He started with a slab, and you know, he chiseled yeah. away everything he thought was not David. Well, he, he started by ruining a bunch of a, a bunch of other pieces of marble before he was at the level that somebody hired him to make Michelangelo. I bet you we look back at episode 21 and say, "Man, it's funny that we were talking about finding our voice we hadn't even come close yet." It you know, speaking of artists and the Bitcoin space, it's neat watching art. I I've never really like I, growing up in the fiat world, I've never really had an interest in the arts. I mean, I was part of acting, but like arts, like um, going to a museum and looking at art pieces never really resonated with me. But now in the Bitcoin space, watching artists creating art based on Bitcoin culture, for the first time, really, I'm seeing art like from, I think, the way that other people have seen art historically. It's like, oh, there's something to this. It's, it's neat whenever there's actually some, a basis of creativity and not just a banana taped to a wall or like an anus put in the middle, like for AIDS awareness, like a big circle that looks like an anus put in the middle of the city square. It's like, that's not art. It's like, that's, that's nihilism. Yeah. So you mean like fine art, really? What they call fine art. Well, it's like the question, it's like the visual arts. Or, what is know. art? And I mean, it's like, is there a third party? Is there a man in a tower who can say this is what art is and isn't? I've never been a guy. I've never been a museum guy, like for anything. I've never like, I just walk right through it. <laughs> like, okay, I've seen everything. Okay, let's leave. I've right? been to I've a never... few military museums that I've uh, lingered in, like like mobile ar- mobile artillery and things like that. But yeah, in general, museums are a place to uh, breeze through. Uh, yeah, I mean, but maybe we are entering a new renaissance of art. There, like, I saw something on um scarce city last night that i thought about a piece i thought about buying it was like a pepe that was tripped out on psychedelics Mm. it was super cool thought about buying it still thinking about it right and i've never really bought an art piece like i have music posters that are art pieces ton of them 
more than I can frame. Yeah. But never like an art piece for the sake of it. But I'm definitely thinking about this Pepe poster. Let's change the subject. Let's go back to uh, the, our weeks. So, so we're still yeah. ultimately talking about what, what we've been doing in the past week. Uh, another, another thing that has changed since the last podcast, we've officially entered mining season at our, at our house here in central Pennsylvania. Mm. It's like I've got the uh, I'm still directing our what's miners exhaust outside. But I mean, I'm officially now I've deployed the, S, the strategic S9 space heaters around the house at night because it's getting down to like nine degrees here Celsius. So, wow. uh, yeah. So we're, we're now heating the house at night with the uh, Bitcoin powered space heaters here. Sweet mining season, man. It's like I've been waiting. It's like I think once we get down to right around, we're starting to hit uh, we're like down to around zero at night. I think I'm gonna. That's when I'm gonna look at directing the heat back inside. And then if it gets too hot, we can just open windows. But it's that time of the year for for where we are in the world. It's nice. You probably have been turned off most of the, I guess most of the last six months, right? Well, I mean, my my little space heaters have been turned off, but like this summer is actually last summer I had to turn my miners off because the uh, my HVAC my solution for ventilation was insufficient, and I was pulling uh, air conditioning from the house through the miners and then exhausting it outside. So I ultimately I just turned the miners off and didn't run the miners through the hottest part of the summer last year. This year I had that solved and, and pulled cool air from the north side of the house into the miners and exhausted that out the south south side of the house. So I was able to mine all summer long, but. I mean, yeah, it's, I feel real weight. I mean, it's the game now for, for home mining isn't, is to weaponize the waste heat. What can you do with the waste heat? That's how to be a profitable home miner. So for the summer, the summer months here, the only way to be profitable in Pennsylvania, at least is if you have the most modern generation hardware and like, even like, I don't, I, I, that's that, that was true for this past summer. I don't think that's going to be true for next, for next summer. Each summer is going to be a new, a new use case. Come winter months, it's like you can heat your place with miners. Indeed. So what? I mean, what do you pay for power? We. I have a, a contract. I'm paying 14 cents power here. Yeah. To, total all in, which is pretty expensive uh, for. I mean, for mining. Bitcoin. Expensive for mining. It's great but, for PA. Yeah. I'm, for for PA, I'm I'm pretty low competitive competitively for PA. Uh, but like that, yeah, I track all that and it's interesting watching how the, the baked in rates for the distribution keep, keep creeping up. Nice. So I'm trying to figure out, you know, we're about an hour in and, um, maybe late to go into this thing I wrote. Which one? Yeah. Yeah. Let, let's, let's, this... let's finish with that. We'll have one more topic of conversation, then we'll end it. Okay. So I think I was inspired by, uh, <laughs> inspired so inspired by only the strong survive which i dare not i dare not equate this thing i wrote to that document but this is something i wrote in the last two days okay and it called everybody has a price even satoshi and and it's an extension of the um we had an episode several um several weeks back called then they buy you if you recall, right? I recall it, yes. Audience, yes. do you recall? Do you guys recall? I'll wait for an answer. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, so, and it really was about, like, um, I don't fully remember. It was, but, you know, we, we go through this meme, the, uh, you know, first they ignore you, then they laugh at you, then they fight you, 
you know. And yeah, then the, traditionally, point, then you win. But we had traditionally, added, like, then they fight you, then they buy you. It's that's like, right. So we were very focused on communicating to people listening that there's going to be this phase called then they buy you, and this is like when they offer you a hundred hundred k for your bitcoin that's going to be them trying to buy you and then if you have a fiat price tag they will make offers on it 200k a million right and then it's just a matter of you know the point of the mat the point isn't to tell you not to sell your bitcoin the point isn't to tell you anything other than we're going to have that phase and we won't win (laughs) until that phase is over right and so as long as you have bitcoin at the end of that phase, right, you will win. And that was sort of the theme of that discussion, right? Mm-hmm. So this is more, this piece is a, like an elaboration of that point, but um, was really getting into more of the fact that as fiat money debases, right, it's going to be harder and harder to buy people. And I think I was triggered by somebody in meet space at one of these meetups that said the, oh, there's a common meme like people don't get fiat because they're paid not to right people don't like uh, janet yellen doesn't get it because she's paid too much not to or your friend at goldman doesn't get it because he's paid too much not to right you're familiar with that that it's not so i am me, yes it's, it's a pe- people uh, somebody who is paid not to understand something will never understand the yeah, opposite so i'm yeah. co- i am contradicting that i th- saying, well, I was paid a lot not to get it, and yet somehow I did, okay, right? Right. So, and I'm not using myself as an exception. There's thousands of people who are, you know, who are highly paid in the traditional fiat system who get that, who get what we all get. That's interesting, because I, I, I've repeated that mantra before, and you're totally right. That's, there, there are totally exceptions to it. It's like, just because you're paid highly in the... Just because it's difficult for that camel to pass through the eye of the needle doesn't mean that it's impossible. So what it comes down to, though, right, is your price. Yes. And so what we're seeing in in debasement, right, the fiat debasement, is that I'll say people like myself are, have come to the conclusion that you're really not paying me much not, not to see something, right? Yeah. You can, And maybe you actually can't pay me enough in fiat to be this ignorant, okay, right? Fiat, what I'm saying is fiat is going to get debased so much that more and more and more people are going to... This is the equivalent of in the Weimar Republic when the army stopped being loyal to the government, right? It's that once you see the currency as monopoly money, you can't unsee it. Like, you you may... Like, I acknowledge that I will... That my family is going to need some amount of dollars in the years ahead, but we don't want dollars. Like we can't unring that bell of understanding the monopoly money nature of the dollar. You uh, can't but buy like, my ignorance with more dollars, though. There's a lot of people that see it and then sell completely, sell it out for more dollars. There are a lot of people still that do that. That's the right? like the the ciphers of uh, in the matrix. The people that have seen yeah. outside the matrix but choose just send me back. I just want to be. I just want to eat the steak. If you saw the thing I posted to our Telegram, it was a, a clip of somebody on LinkedIn, a Duke professor at that posted a giant cope of why, and it was like why inflation is actually lower than what CPI is telling us. So yeah. Like you just get a sense of that. There are people that are very willing to sell their ignorance for more dollars still today. But that, but what I'm saying is the more 
fiat debases, and the more you, money you print, the harder it's going to be to buy everybody, right? It's going to be, it's going to get harder and harder and harder, and more people are going to see it, and won't be able to unsee it because the money. And so this is where this is inspired by only the strong survive because I'll just give the key one of the key takeaways of that paper is that the problems with shitcoins weren't so much that the ideas that they were trying to create were bad. It's just that the incentives promised by the tokens were fucking impossible to deliver. It had no integrity, right? Yeah. It's like you're, you're trying to deliver some like decentralized computing. It's like a nice idea, right? But if you are relying on the people's, on an economic incentive driven by a fake money, it's doomed, right? That, that was the point, right? So it's like, the, the, so fiat is essentially also the same thing, right? So if you're relying on fiat to deliver the incentives of the ideas behind fiat, fucking doomed mm-hmm. and so it's the a more tool they, that becomes right? less useful every time you use it it becomes less you uti- you That's usable right. in the job you're trying to do so the, so this is the big like this is like it gets the big crescendo right is, is that the more you print fiat and you know we were talking a lot about how the national debt is going up by some ungodly amount per day and you know this is just generating this to me this idea that the, the more this happens right the harder the, the harder it's going to be to keep everybody bought. Now you then we contrast this with Bitcoin, right? Because Bitcoin buys Bitcoin is in the game of buying people as well, right? Mm-hmm. They're buying people's willful choices. The same way fiat is trying to buy your willful choice, right? Bitcoin is buying your willful choice. And what is it's a different willful choice, a willful choice to participate and cooperate with the network. It's not a willful choice to ignore <laughs> the, the how doomed it is. It's a willful choice to cooperate. And the economic incentive is actually enough to buy everybody in the world. Pretty likely. And not only that, but also the systems we build and the cooperative systems we build, the incentives of Bitcoin are have the integrity to likely deliver on those systems. We have a global population has been effectively starving to death on fiat for I mean, for, for 50 years, for 60 years, is slowly make, making do with less and less and less. Enter Satoshi. I mean, Satoshi offered is offering us real value. Like for, for those who choose to participate in it, like there is now a parallel system that you can opt into. And so like where, where fiat is like a vampiric force that is sucking the energy from all of all participants uh uh bitcoin is 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 the opposite bitcoin is as more people join the network and more as more people produce value inside the network everybody collectively becomes more more wealthy um more more energetic more full of life the lower bound of bitcoin's value and ability to buy people is above the upper bound of what fiat is capable of that's what's happened. So fiat, fiat has now the value of fiat has gone below. The upper bound of fiat is below, and and gets lower and lower as it goes to zero. And the value of Bitcoin, this probably wasn't true five years ago. Yeah, right. It's, you know what I mean? It's shocking how much like the money is still devaluing, but and people are still measuring it based on one dollar equals one dollar. They don't see it. Also, like the conviction you could have in Bitcoin maybe wasn't so high that you th- with that. 
a large amount of people could actually think it could deliver on worldwide incentives. It's it's right. true. I mean, like the the meme is like every day that Bitcoin exists, it becomes harder to kill. It's like it takes a while to internalize that. It's like I I believed in Bitcoin in that it it existed. I believed that it was a network that that was online five years ago, but I didn't believe in it in the way that I believe in it now. Yeah, and if you just take the last five years, right? It's something like um, I'm trying to think, I'm trying to do the math. It, the, every every uh, Every year is roughly, um, well, the epochs are 210,000 blocks. Is that right? Yep, 210,000 blocks about every four years. Yeah, so take 250,000. We've had 250,000 consecutive successful blocks, okay? I want you to think about the probability of anything, right? Anything happening 250,000 consecutive times successfully. If you take... The, a number that has a probability very close to one point nine 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 nine, right? You raise that to the two hundred fifty thousandth power, you're going to get a number that's close to zero. Yeah, right? Bitcoin so like, what, is a six sigma event. It, 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 the likelihood of the, even the last epoch, you know, of all of consecutive successful blocks without a failure, is absurd. It's absurdly close to zero, and yet we count on it every day as though the probability is one. We count on it every 10 minutes. It, you know, more and more and more, um, we see the integrity, and it delivers. And so there's no issue with, see, Bitcoin adoption doesn't hurt its ability. Fiat adoption does. Fiat mm. adoption continues to hurt its ability to deliver on the incentives, and Bitcoin doesn't. And that was... That was the big contrast and the big point. I feel like there's still a lot to do with this idea. Um, but I wanted to get this kind of thing out, and I wanted to get us talking about it and get people discussing this sort of basic principle. This might be like the intro to something bigger. There's something happening here. But what it is ain't exactly clear. There's a man with a gun over there. Telling me I got to beware. I think it's time we stop, children. What's that sound? Everybody, look what's going down. There's battle lines being drawn, and nobody's right if everybody's wrong. Young people speak in their minds Are getting so much resistance From behind Every time we stop Hey, what's that sound? Everybody look what's going down What a field day for the heat Thousand people in the street singing songs and they carry inside. Mostly say hooray for our side. It's time we stop. Hey, what's that sound? Everybody look what's going Deep. 
it will creep It starts when you're always afraid Step out of line, the man come and take you away We better stop, hey, what's that sound? Everybody look what's going down Stop, hey, what's that sound? Everybody look what's going down We better stop 